Hi, I'm Laura Zam, and this is Sexual Healing Central. Today, I am interviewing Rachel Kramer Bussell, who is the editor of Best Women's Erotica of the Year, Volume 6. And she is going to share with us tips for how we can use erotica to help us with our pleasure and also our healing. Thank you for having me. Welcome, Rachel. I'm so happy to have you here. This is such a such a treat. So could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Uh, my name is Rachel. I live in New Jersey. I have been writing erotica for just over 20 years, which still sounds weird to me to say that it's been that long. And I've been editing anthologies like this one that Laura just mentioned since 2004. And in that time, I've edited over 70 anthologies, most of them erotica, a few nonfiction, all in the sexuality realm. And I also teach erotica writing classes and consult with people about erotica. And I'm always brainstorming what would be a good topic for a new anthology and also brainstorming for my own writing what what do I want to write about next? Because in that time, I've also written uh, dozens of short stories about all kinds of erotic topics and with different characters, some people like me, some people totally different than myself. Uh, and so I'm just always kind of looking for what's next, both in my writing and other people's. And it, outside of erotica, I'm also a journalist and I've been a sex columnist and I write, I write essays about my life. So I kind of dabble in both fiction and nonfiction. Wow. And then this is volume six, but you edited earlier volumes as well. Yes. You this just, yeah. series I've been editing uh, since the first volume. It, it did exist before that with a different editor where there were annual volumes, Best Women's Erotica, uh, 2001, two, three. Um, but since I started, we've we've called it a best women's erotica of the year volume one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, some of them, the more recent ones have a theme. The theme might be like outrageous or adventure, which is volume six. Some of them don't necessarily have a theme. Um, and then I've also edited other types of anthologies, uh, bondage anthologies, spanking one about sex toys. So, um, you know, it, it kind of depends. I, I like a theme in general as an editor because it gives me something to look for when I'm reading the stories. It gives me something to say, okay, you touched on the theme in this way. Because one thing I think is really important about erotica that I found as a writer and also as an editor is that it's very welcoming to all sorts of writers. You don't need an advanced degree. You don't need a certain level of sexual experience. I think the biggest thing you need is creativity and imagination. So I've edited and read lots of stories that if I sat at my computer 24-7, I would never come up with because... They were about something or set somewhere that I just would not have thought of. And to me, that's really the beauty of it. I think anything you could write about, you can write erotica about. And that includes the, the things you might think of as erotic and also things you might not think of as erotic. I've read erotica set at a funeral or after a funeral or where people are going through cancer treatment or other dark times. And I think that it has a different tone, of course, than something that's 
you know, set, you know, in a, at a hotel where people are celebrating their anniversary. But I think the through line is that sex is part of our lives, you know, in the good times and the bad times. So I, I think you can write erotica set anywhere about anything if you approach it in the right way. Right. Oh, interesting. Wow. Such a, that's so interesting about the uh, erotica that takes place. There's another example. Yeah. Or or chemo. Yeah. I published a few stories about mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people think, oh, how does erotica fit in with mental health? Well, it's not that you're eroticizing mental health issues. It's that Mm -hmm. people dealing with mental health issues also, you know, have have sex, have desire. And it's about combining those two. And, and there's one story I published, which was about a woman who's agoraphobic and doesn't leave her house. And then in the story, through the help of a lover, she slowly starts to, you know, make it down her driveway and make it out of the house. And it's part of their relationship. It's not that he's forcing her to, but it's that, you know, when you're in a relationship, you're open to change and you're open to how that person affects you. So those are kind of the stories that I especially treasure editing. I I don't know if I would do a whole book of those because they can Mm -hmm. be intense, you know, and I don't know if everyone picking up a book of erotica, you know, they might want things that are more lighthearted, but I like a mix because to me, those are the ones that really stay with me because they're, they're really powerful. And I think, you know, what you, what we're going to talk about later, sexual healing. Mm-hmm. I think we have healing in all, all areas of our lives and sex could or could not be a part of those. So I think in erotica, you're looking at it through a specific lens. You're looking at it through the lens of sexuality and eroticism. And that can, that can look different at different times of your life, right? In different right. parts of your life. I mean, I don't think the person at a funeral is going to feel the same way as the person celebrating the anniversary, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean sex can't have a powerful impact on where they are at that moment. And I think sex can be healing and powerful in a, in a different way when you're going through something dark and an erotica can can explore that not that it has to it doesn't always I've published plenty of silly erotica and humorous erotica let me interrupt you because I I I think people might want to know how did you get how did you get involved in in writing about this you know I I always say that I fell into erotica because that's really how it feels I I had never written fiction before I'd never thought about writing fiction but I was in law school actually and my early twenties. And I was, I had been reading erotica for a few years and I saw a call from an editor looking for stories about celebrities, celebrity erotica. And this was in 1999. So I wrote a story about Monica Lewinsky and it was called Monica and me. And that got published in that book, which was called, can can I curse? Can I? Yeah. uh Uh-huh. I wanted to make sure that book was called star fucker. Uh Uh-huh. Celebrity erotica. This was fiction, right? Fiction, yes. Uh Okay. The whole whole book was fiction about different celebrities. So that was my story. (laughs) And it was really exciting to see my name in a book. And that got published also in another anthology of lesbian erotica. And then I, that was, that happened in late 2000, I believe. And then I just, 
I started writing more erotica, you know, a couple per year. And then a couple years later, I got asked to co-edit an anthology and then to edit one and then kind of spiraled from there. And since 2004, I've edited over 70 anthologies, but that was never what I set out to do. I really, at the beginning, just thought, hey, I'm going to try this fun thing because I've been reading so much erotica. Let's see if I can do it. And that's why, like I was saying earlier, I think erotica is very democratic. It It's welcoming of new voices and and different perspectives, because I think I think there are through lines to human sexuality, but I think we all, just the way we're all different as people, we're all different sexual creatures and different writers will bring different aspects themselves to, to erotica. So, you know, mm-hmm. in the beginning, a lot of my stories were either autobiographical or about things that I, you know, was interested in in my personal life. And then over time, I expanded to write about characters who are nothing like me, both mm-hmm. in personality or, you know, that weren't that weren't women, that were different, different types of people than myself. And that has been interesting as well uh, to, to kind of step outside my life and mm-hmm. think about what is what is arousing to this kind of person, what would turn on this character specifically. Wow. Now are there component parts that make a good erotic story? There are, but I think it's funny because I think what a lot of people would think makes good erotica, it it might make good erotica, but what I would say is a lot of it is the tension, the the kind of the buildup to the sex scene. If there is one, there isn't, there doesn't necessarily have to be a sex scene, but most likely there is. But for me, what makes that sex scene is not so much this part goes here and this part goes there as why is that arousing to those characters? Why is that such a turn on? Because I think sometimes, especially newer erotica writers will get very detailed about the physical side, um, whatever kind of sex is happening. And then they won't put as much detail about what are the people thinking? How does it feel to them? And to me as an editor and as a reader, that's what makes it erotic, that that I know something about this character and I know why they're so into whatever they're doing. That could be missionary position sex, that could be using a sex toy, that could be having sex outside. You know, but I think sometimes people will say, okay, well, I'm writing an exhibitionist story where people are having sex outside and and they sort of assume that the reader knows why that's sexy to the characters. And I think you can, you don't want to say it every sentence, you know, why it's sexy, but you want to, you want to think about, okay, what for these characters are they getting out of it? Is it, is it that they want to be caught or they just think it's exciting to be outdoors or is this something they do all the time and it's, it's normal for them. You know, it's, it's just part of what they do. Or, you know, are they are they hoping that someone specific person who lives across the way is watching them? You know, what what about like, why did they choose that spot versus another spot? So I think there's so many ways to approach to approach it. And I so I look for kind of how it all works together, how the the physical and the mental and the emotional all combine to to kind of have a payoff for the reader. 
Yeah. And the anthology is is phenomenal. And I I so, so highly recommend it. And there was another why that uh, I felt was inherent in what you're saying, but I just want to pull it out because of uh, how much I identified with that or how much it helped me identify with these characters. There was a lot of those stories, a, a why, why sex was so important to them, what it what it meant in the in the context of of their lives and their histories, and and I just I found that so powerful throughout the collection. So yeah, I'll have the links in the show notes and everything. But I really, really highly recommend this this collection and uh, and earlier early anthologies as well that you edited, Rachel. Can I, can I hop in on one little thing about that? that yeah, something yeah. that stood out to me as a specific one in Best Women's Erotica of the Year, Volume 6, there's a story called Easy Ride by Katrina Jackson. And it's about a, a divorced woman who goes to a motorcycle club and has this fling. And that part is very sexy. But I think what really made it me want to put it in this book where the theme was an adventure is that, you know, her ex had told her, you know, you're too much and had kind of belittled her, not, not abuse, like physical abuse, but I think verbal, maybe abuse you could say, or, or just an overall kind of putting her down. And I think over time, that kind of situation does affect you on many levels and it affected her. And so her going to the motorcycle club was kind of, I saw it as a rebellion against that and, and kind of a rebirth of reclaiming who she was before she was in this relationship where this person was belittling her. So I think that was what made it even more heightened. It wasn't just that she went to this motorcycle club and had this hot fling, which was, I, I found it sexy, but it was also that this was coming after this other experience. And I think when you can bring those kinds of elements in. It doesn't always have to be something bad happened and then you're, you know, you're getting over that or you're finding a cathartic experience in sex. But that was just one example of how that character, even in a short story of 15, 16 pages, spoke to me because I think that is something, if not universal, then widespread that a lot of women especially have experienced a partner who maybe tells them, you know, you don't do this right, or you should change this about yourself. And I think as much as you might think you're a strong person, when you hear that from the person who's supposed to love you and maybe you live with them or your, you know, your life is entwined with them, I think that can have a powerful effect. And of course, that's also going to affect your sexuality. Yeah, most definitely. And I, I think so many messages that we receive is, are, these messages that there's yeah, there's something wrong with us. We're too much. We're not enough. We're right. We we don't look right. We're doing things that are sinful. So many different kinds of messages. And sometimes it's just things that we things were done to us. And then we we take that on with a lot of self-blame. Oh, it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been this way, etc. So uh, yeah, there's so I guess what what I was responding to is what I would call healing. All those there's there was a lot, a lot of healing going on in those stories, people finding their their sensuality and their sexuality again or in the context of, of something. So cool. So what um I ask all my guests, what does sexual healing mean to you? That is a good question. You know, 
I think it goes along with what we were just saying. I think for a lot of people, myself included, part of what we need healing from is all those messages that we internalize. I I think it's almost impossible not to internalize some of them. And I, I would say women experience a certain type of sexual shaming just for existing. I think there's still so many taboos of what's allowed. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's not that we're told, well, at least I, I was never told. And most of my friends peer group weren't told, okay, be a virgin until marriage. Although some people are told that, but I think there's still a line just because you're not told that there's still certain things that are too taboo. You know, maybe don't be a virgin until you get married, but don't have sex with too many people or don't have sex on the first date, or the person won't want to go out with you or all these things. And I think sexual healing, part of it is kind of figuring out where you fit in, where your desires fit in among all those messages and, and how you want to pursue them. You know, how are, are there things that you just want to fantasize about, but not necessarily do in real life? Are there things you want to do in real life? And if there are, like, how can you do them safely, both physically safely and emotionally safely? Because I think so much of what we're taught about safe sex is is only about the physical side, but we're not taught as much about how to protect your emotional sense of self and and how to live out whatever fantasies you might want to live out in a way that feels good to you because we don't always know how it's going to feel. We might have a fantasy, but the reality of fulfilling it might be different, you know? So I think sexual healing really starts internally. Um, I don't know if detaching is the right word from those messages, but just recognizing that those are messages that our culture sends us, whether from our families or school, peers, media, and then, you know, navigating them. And I feel like it's important to figure out what you want sexually um, independent of any partners you may or may not have, because it's very easy to, you know, whether you're in a casual relationship or a hookup or like a serious relationship to just go along with what the other person is wanting to do, because then, you know, you're not making waves, you're not rocking the boat and you're, you know, I think it can be very hard to, to ask for things that you might be interested in from someone you really care about and whose opinion matters to you because you're worried about what are they going to think? And I think that is a universal experience. Like whatever gender you are, I think that wanting to be accepted and appreciated by a partner for who you are, I think that's universal, but, but there are still many aspects of sexuality, even in 2021 that, that are frowned upon or that might be frowned upon Mm -hmm. by a, by a partner or by society. Sure. And I just, I love the way you're framing this. I've never really had anyone presented to me that way, this emotionally safe sex, what is emotionally safe sex? And not even going into the full realm of, okay, you know, obviously, you know, safe would be free from, you know, some kind of emotional violation, you know, real like abuse. But if we're not true to our own desires, and if we're just going along with things because things because we don't feel like we have a voice, well, that is harmful in some way for us emotionally, psychologically. 
And I think you might not realize, or if you're going along with something because you think everyone else is doing it. I think there's a lot of, or maybe you're not going along with something, but you feel left out because you feel like everyone else is doing something, but you don't even give yourself the chance to think about, do you really want to do that? Like, does that turn you on? Or is it just something you think you should do because that's what people your age do, or that's what everyone does. Um, And I think it's harder to, it can be harder to really figure out what turns you on because, you know, what turns you on might not be something as accessible or as easy to articulate. It might be something more complicated. I think our minds are so complex. The things that turn us on can be very complex and those can be hard to understand if A, you didn't get good sex ed in school or B, you don't see that desire reflected in mainstream culture. I think there's a lot of subcultures where anything goes or where you can discuss that, but we're not really told this is where to navigate those things. We're not really given many avenues, especially as adults. You know, I feel like people think of sex ed only as something you get in school, like in Mm -hmm. high or high school, but maybe college, but I don't, not really. I don't know. I, I think colleges give out condoms maybe and talk about that kind of thing, but they don't really talk as much about negotiation or how to talk about your fantasies. And not, I mean, you can definitely find classes on all those things at almost any feminist sex toy store or online. Like there are places to get that information, but I think that there's probably a lot of people who could use that information, but don't know where to go for it. You know, right. maybe, maybe they want to go to a sex party, but they don't know, is there one in my area? Or if I go, can I just watch or do I have to take part in it? Or what are, what are the rules? I, I think there, I'm sure that there are plenty of people who have fantasies they would like to fulfill, but either they're worried about what people would think if someone knew about it, or they're just not sure how to go about that. Or maybe they're in a marriage or long-time partnership and don't, don't feel comfortable articulating what that desire is because they're worried what the other person will think. If, if someone has a desire and they do want to explore, let's say they use good old Google, <laughs> what, what, what would they put in the search engine to maybe find a, a community or information about this? That is a good question. I would look up feminist sex toy store because a lot of them have ongoing classes, you know, on different topics, whether it's, you know, specific sex acts like, you know, bondage or oral sex, but also a lot of them are about more communication things like how to talk about your fantasies or how to, you know, find, find these sexual communities. And uh, I would look up that. I would maybe look up sex educator because there are also sex educators who will do one-on-one coaching sessions with people. That's what I, that's what I am. So, I mean, (laughs) People like you, I, you know, I think a lot, I mean, and I'm, I don't consider myself a sex educator except, you know, except in the sense I teach erotica classes, but because I've written a lot about my sex life and and sexual topics, people often ask me these kinds of questions. Sure. And I think, I mean, to me, I feel like one of the through lines of all the questions is, am I normal? Like, is this okay? People want almost permission to even think about these 
things. And then maybe the secondary step is how to how to find that community or find people to talk about that with. Um, and, you know, I, I think, I think it will depend also on where you live, you know, where you can find these things. But I think one of the first steps is, you know, just being open to exploring and, and knowing that it might take you a little while to, you know, figure out the exact path that's right for you. But I think, going back to what I said earlier, I think really that first step is just being comfortable with it yourself. Because I think if you're not comfortable with it yourself, you're going to have trouble talking to someone about it, especially a stranger. And then also, you know, if it comes to finding a partner to do that thing with you or trying to bring your partner into the thing you want to do, I think you have to be able to articulate it and not feel guilty about it or shame about it. And that is, I mean, that sounds easy when you just say it like that, but I think there's, there's so many ways that sex is still considered taboo. I mean, one example is I edit these anthologies and I used to run an erotic reading series in New York and people would say to me, I'm interested in your events or your books, but I can't like your page on Facebook because people will see that and then think, oh, you're going to, you know, an erotic reading series. Like, what does that mean? I mean, people, Mm -hmm. there's so much judgment about, okay, what are you doing and what are you doing that I think, I think that can be inhibiting. And also, you know, it can be challenging then to try to find information, but I mean, you can do, you can Google, no one's going to know what you're Googling as long as you're using (laughs) your own computer or you're clearing your history. But, um, but I think that's why it is important to be at peace with it yourself, because let's say you're using your joint computer that your partner shares with you. And, you know, you're concerned about what they're going to think if they find out this thing that you've been searching for. I think you have to be comfortable enough with, with it yourself that if they did find it, um, you know, you could have a discussion with them about it. And in a way that that doesn't, you know, it's not blaming someone or 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 shaming or judging. You know, maybe you're you're curious about something and your partner isn't curious about it. That's a different situation, but that doesn't mean you can't figure out a happy medium. You know, maybe you explore it and tell them about it, or or don't tell them about it and agree to have this sort of separate space where this thing is allowed, but this isn't, you know, mm-hmm. like going back to the sex party example, maybe one person wants to go to a sex party and the other doesn't. So maybe they go, but they just watch or they go and, you know, tell them about it or, or whatever. I don't know, you know, but I think there are ways to figure out how to make compromises around some of these things. If one person has an interest and the other doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I also think that you don't always know how you're going to feel about something until you really think about, think about it or try it. You know, I think that going back to erotica, sometimes people say, Oh, well, I'm not into whatever it is like bondage or whatever foot fetishes or whatever thing, but they might read a story about it and it might turn them on or it might turn on their mind. It might make them think about it in a different way. That doesn't mean they necessarily want to try it, but I think you can't always prejudge or know in advance what you're going to think about. Right. Or what you're going to respond to. Yeah. Cause yeah. You, you just don't know, you know, or, or there might be something that you're not 
into it in the sense of you want to do it all the time with anyone, but you might be into one specific variation of it in one specific setting, like with your partner or, or this one space where someone is doing it. And, and I think those are things where you wouldn't know necessarily in advance, like the idea of it in the abstract might not do anything for you, but there might be a way for it to, to move you or to speak to you yeah. that, that you couldn't predict because the human mind, I don't think is always predictable. Like we don't always know. I'm not saying that you should just say yes to something you don't want to do, but I'm saying that you don't always know what you're going to think about something in advance. And also, well, let's, I feel like we're already moving into the tips part because I I feel like you're, you're already (laughs) offering such great information about how we might use erotica. So let's, uh, let's just frame it in that way. So people, people really get Mm -hmm. uh, these jewels of, of wisdom from you, Rachel. Okay. So three tips, how can erotica be used for pleasure and healing for people of all genders? Okay. Well, I have a couple Thing, a couple of ways that people would be interacting with erotica. One is reading, which is probably, I, I guess I would say the most common, but I don't know for sure. But I think reading erotica, whether you're reading it by yourself or you're reading it with a partner, or, you know, and with a partner could mean physically like reading it out loud to each other, but it could also mean one of you reads it and then leaves it for the other and says, read this, you know, I like this or what, you know, and then you'd meet and discuss it. Um, I think the written word can really let your imagination and take over. And it's not that you're always going to picture yourself in the scenarios, but it, it it's very open in terms of how people process it, you know, in, in a way that I think is a little bit different from watching some, watching a video, which is not to knock videos or porn, but I think there, there's only one type of, uh, image you're being shown with erotica, you you have more freedom to let your imagination picture it how you want to picture it and maybe continue the story. You know, maybe the story ends, but in your mind it continues, or maybe it sparks something that you had never thought of. Like for me, especially when I was reading erotica before I started writing it, it just really unlocked a lot of possibilities of what what sex could be like what could be erotic, um, what settings sex could happen in, and the types of people that, for, for me, the types of people that I was attracted to. So I think reading erotica, either alone or with a partner in some way, I think it just can be eye-opening, you know, not necessarily that it's going to fix your life or, or solve something, but I think that can be healing, especially just on a more basic level to know that there's so many different kinds of desire and ways that can play out. I think if you read erotica widely or maybe reading one novel or book or anthology, but if you, if you read it, you know, over time, especially, I think you're, you will learn about things that you had never thought of because, you know, most people will, because I think most of us are sex, knowledge of sex is limited to like the things we've done or the things we've heard about from friends or maybe seen on TV or movies. So I think reading erotica can just open your mind, which that could lead to who knows what. And I, I think that opening your mind and being made aware of different types of sexual desires and sex toys and fantasies and 
ways of getting pleasure, I think that does circle back to you and, and how you do all those things. Sure. You know? So, I mean, it, it could, it could have a very powerful impact. Like it could be, oh, I discovered this thing that I want to try that I never thought of, but I think it could just be a more um, general sense of, okay, there's more out there in the world of sex than I ever thought of whether or not I want to do that, just whether think, or not you want to do it. Right. Yeah. Right. I think knowing that is helpful. I think knowing that can just give you a different perspective, which you, you never know what role that will play in your life. Beautiful. What's the, what's the next tip? Um, I think the other, this is also about kind of, uh, receiving erotica, but is listening to erotica, I think can also do a lot of the things I just said. But I think especially for couples, listening to erotica together can be really a way to bond over it. And and because you know you're both using your imaginations, but then you're you don't have to hold a book or or look at anything. You're you're you can listen to it and maybe touch each other or just be in bed together and and sort of I think there's something so sensual about the human voice, um, you know, especially people who are narrating erotica that I think can really hit you differently than, than if you're reading it out loud or silently. So I think listening to erotica or, or maybe you're alone or together, closing your eyes and just picturing what, what the person is, is reading. And so, you know, you might be following along the same way you would any kind of audiobook or podcast, but I think also with erotica, you might just be in it more for the sense of the mood it's creating mm-hmm. and then incorporating that mood into your own life. So I think especially for couples or people in relationships who are maybe in a rut or who are, you know, just looking for something new to try, but aren't sure what they want to try listening to erotica together can be just a new thing to try and, and see what, see what effect it has on you. Excellent. And are there any other ways that, uh, well, yeah. So because I'm so, I'm such a, I'm a writer first, like my mind in most areas of my life, like if something happens to me, I'm, I'm thinking, how can I write about this? Now I know not everyone is this way, but I do think that either exploring writing erotica or just looking around you at your settings, whether that's your house, which most of us are in our houses for much or all of the time these days, or, (laughs) or looking at, you know, your community around you, um, and thinking about, okay, what's erotic about this space or this situation I'm in, or, and that doesn't mean that you're going to get turned on in every encounter you have in your daily life. But I think thinking about how can I eroticize this? What, like, what could I make sexy about this situation? And that could be something as kind of every day as going to the grocery store or waiting online at the post office. And maybe you're not doing those things right now, but, you know, everyday things that you used to do, like sitting in traffic or, you know, at your desk waiting for your computer to update and eavesdropping on a coworker or something like that, or, or just looking around your house and thinking about, okay, like, you know, would I set an erotica story? If I was going to set an erotica story in my kitchen, what would happen? Mm. And I think a, that's fun. Cause you're, you're looking around in a new way. Uh-huh. And I think it, it, that can unlock a creative side that you might not think you have, but that I think, 
I think if you want to, and anyone can write erotica. Like a lot of people say to me, but I don't know what to write about, or I haven't had this wild and crazy sex life. I don't know what to write. That's okay. Like, you know, you can, first of all, you can use Google and, you know, research something that you might be interested in, but also your characters can be normal everyday people. Mm-hmm. You know, they can be like you or or not like you, but they don't have to have super over-the-top lives. Um, I think it kind of goes back to what I was saying before. It can be about what's erotic about this moment, you know, and, and I think any moment could have erotic elements. I mean, maybe someone's, you know, bad at cooking and is burning dinner in the kitchen and they're like worried that their partner is going to get angry. But then, you know, instead of being angry, they you know, turn off the oven and, and like have sex on the kitchen floor and then (laughs) something with their fingers or, or like feed each other or whatever. I don't know, something like that. So, you know, I think looking around your home or Mm. familiar settings and thinking about, okay, like what, what would I picture about people being intimate in this space? I'm not saying it's easy. It's not, you know, you're, you might, you might draw a blank on some of them, but I think mm-hmm. if you do this repeatedly, you will find ways to eroticize just elements of your daily life. And I think that can be a powerful um, tool to self-discovery and to healing. And to healing. I think you can write it. You know, I think sometimes people think, oh, well, erotica means I'm eroticizing things that that might not be, that I might not know how to eroticize in real life. Like, Um, I've been thinking about like with your book, like painful sex, like how do you, how do you eroticize that? But I think it, if you wanted to, not that everyone wants to do this, but let's say that was something that someone wanted to write about. I think, I think there's so much potential in how do people talk about sex among each other and how do they overcome problems and issues and how do they find alternatives to sexuality than, than what they thought sex was going to be. I mean, I think there's so many ways to, um, to approach that from an erotic mindset. So I think writing erotica and, and also when I say writing, that doesn't mean writing for public consumption. You could be writing in your own notebook or computer. You never have to show it to anyone. I think that's still a very valuable exercise, you know, or maybe, um, you know, you you have an aspect of your body that you don't feel comfortable with. Like maybe you force yourself to write about a, a lover who's like obsessed with that body part and who who mm-hmm. wants to touch it and stroke it and and you know make that a central focus. And you know, I think I think there's so many ways that writing can be healing. Um, and especially and writing erotica can be healing because you're in control. You anything can happen. You can, you know, you can make characters who, who are like the people you would want to encounter in real life. And maybe you already have that person in your life, or maybe you're single and you don't have that person in your life, or you have a partner, but they're not meeting your needs. I think writing erotica and in that way, like bringing those fantasies to the page can be very powerful because it, it again might unlock something for you that you hadn't thought of before. And I know I've certainly sat down to write erotica 
and written about things that if you had just asked me, are you into that? I would say no, but it came from somewhere. Like, I don't know where it came from. And I, and I don't think you have to know. I think sometimes people feel like, oh, well, if I wrote this, it means this about me. Mm-hmm. And it, it really, it might mean something about you, but it might just mean that you had this fantasy that popped into your head that you wanted to explore and then what you do with that is up to you. You know, you could keep it on your computer or in your notebook, or you could, you know, share it with a partner or you could publish it. You know, that what you do next is, I think, the next step. But I think giving yourself free reign to write whatever comes to mind and not censoring mm-hmm. it um, can be really powerful because it can help you um, just tap into a side of yourself that you might not tap into otherwise. I do think that you, like I said before, you don't always know what you're going to write about or what's mm-hmm. going to come to mind, mm-hmm. especially when you get in that state of like feeling free to write whatever you want. Um, right. Right. And I think that can be very eye-opening and powerful and, and healing on many levels. Yeah. Beautiful. This has been so powerful. I, I love these three tips. Thank you so much, Rachel, for, for sharing them with our listeners and our viewers. And I hope that people will pick up the book and all the information will be right, right here in the show notes so that you can find the links. And, uh, and thank you so much for, for being with us and, and sharing all this. Thank you, Laura.